Hello and welcome to Tea Time Theology. Our guest today is the Deacon Scott Elliott from Church of the Atonement in Chicago. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Yes. So you have um, an interesting bumper sticker, I would say. Probably one of the better known ones we're doing, um, which is God won't give you any experience you can't handle. Yes. Um, so before we jump into that, I just want to ask in general, what do you think of the idea of this like bumper sticker Bible? I think it's an excellent idea because there is so much about biblical or other uh, truth that can be boiled down into short little aphorisms. And there's so much of it that can't. And unfortunately, mm. a lot of the stuff that can't be often is. And so being able to distinguish the good, you know, five or ten word things from the bad five or mm -hmm. ten word things is important. Um, because, you know, on, on first or second glance, they look the same. They, they feel the same. They vibe the same. Um, and it's not until you really think about it a little bit, but bumper stickers are not the kinds of things you really think about. They just happen and they leave your consciousness. So, yeah. Do you think this is a good bumper sticker or not really? I think it's a terrible bumper sticker. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes, I, I did too. I was like... When I saw that that was the one you picked, I was like, oh, this this could go a lot of ways. <laughs> um, is there like a gut reaction of why? Like I have my own gut reaction of why I don't really like this one, but I'd love to hear yours first. Well, um, I think it's because uh, frequently when you hear somebody say that, either saying it to themselves or saying it to somebody else, um, well, for one thing, if you say something like that to somebody else, you might as well t say, stop feeling, you know, mm. uh, I'm going through a terrible experience right now. Well, God will never give you more than you can handle. Stop feeling that. I'm feeling uncomfortable, so I'm going to tell you to not feel that anymore, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's almost as bad as God needed another angel, so he killed your baby. Um, yeah. Yeah. And when people say it to themselves, it's like they're reassuring themselves that this experience isn't real or that it's, you know, it, 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 it fosters fantasy land instead of dealing with things as they, as they actually are. And, yeah. and what is meant by... God will never give you more than you can handle. Usually, I think, when, when people say that, 
They're, they mean God will never give you more than you will find really, really emotionally distressing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what they mean by can handle. When anybody, if you, if you just stop to think about it for 35 seconds in a row, oh, horrendously emotionally distressing things happen to people all the time. And if mm -hmm. God will never let you have something that is really emotionally distressing, then you're not dealing with reality. Because reality mm. is frequently emotionally distressing. Um, yeah. You know, when, uh, and, and that's especially unfortunate for a Christian uh, to say something like that, because think about it. The founder of our religion was tortured to death naked in public <laughs> yeah. with his mom watching. <laughs> yeah, now came out swinging. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and you don't get much more emotionally distressing than that. Mm. So if God's not going to let you have experiences that are truly emotionally distressing, then Jesus' experience and yours are radically different, and Jesus has nothing to say to you. Mm -hmm. I'd never thought about that way, that Jesus has nothing to say to you. If you don't I only this, just the second reality. thought of it. I've been thinking about this that's, for a while, and, and it, it just occurred to me. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's such an interesting way to think about Lent and like the the passion as a whole because i i will say this is going off on a tangent but um i will say one thing that i have always thought about and like used as my analogy for like holy week in my head is sort of like the structure of a rom-com where <laughs> um yes <laughs> it's to me it's the same structure as what a rom-com would be where you know what the ending is we know easter is going to come that sunday morning right but we still have to watch the movie or see like how the guy loses the girl or to see how it gets there to see because the journey is just as important as the final product if not more and so. i yeah um but i i've never heard it when right Harry meant pilot. <laughs> yes, Nora Ephron, Jesus's scriptwriter. Um, but I, I like that idea of reality being sort of in that pain, yeah. um, and that Jesus meets you in reality. I love liturgy. I'm a nerd, and I love that sort of Sunday morning service. But I also think that there's there's something very manufactured about it at times and sort of well i find comfort in the sunday liturgy because i know what's going to happen that it's sort mm -hmm. of like this repetitive ritual there are songs that i love that we sing there are words that i love i love the collect of purity which we read every sunday like this these ideas that come every time but also thinking that like your relationship with Jesus and God has to be more than these sort of like ritualistic things. And they happen in the realities of your day to day. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with that. 
In fact, it's yeah. the realities of the day to day that are found within the context of the structure of what you're accustomed to, whether mm -hmm. liturgically or otherwise. Yeah. You know, um, for me to have a meaningful encounter with one of my friends over coffee, we're still sitting in a coffee shop drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. We're still doing the thing. The encounter is happening in the context of the, uh, uh, of the, of the experience of the behavior. You know, whatever. Definitely. And well, that's one of the things about this um, this denial of the reality of pain that yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, Lent and the way Lent ends. Mm -hmm. um, there is nowhere that Jesus has more to say to us than on Good Friday. Mm. And if God will never let me have truly emotionally distressing experiences, then God has nothing to say to me on Good Friday. Mm. You know, I like that. That really fits. It does. I, I think that's a really beautiful way to sort of think about it. And um, I want to read the larger passage that this is sort of distilled from, because I did not realize until I started doing research for this that this actually is sort of like a a bastardized version of a Corinthians. Yes, First um, Corinthians. Yes. Do you have it and want to read it, or do you want me to read it? As you like it. All right. I'm going to start from 11. Um, so these things happen to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Yes. And another way word for tempted, another translation is tested. Mm -hmm. um, and... The point is that um, you can have these experiences. You can have these experiences that are profoundly distressing. You can have these experiences that actually kill you. But the mm. faithfulness of God is not that he will not let the experiences happen. The faithfulness of mm. God is that he will make it possible for you to go through the experience, even the experience of death if need be, without sin. Yeah, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to, to humankind. Um, mm -hmm. the, the thing that we are protected from is not the experience, but our reaction to the experience, our response to the experience. Um, mm. And if our response is... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I love the, um, the second sentence, um, the he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Yes, um, and that is that way out, and that is the endurance. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, they can, you know, they can they can have your body, but they can't have your soul. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that's what's missing in the original 
the quote is that God won't give you anything you can't handle. It's not that he won't give you anything that he that you can't handle. It's that he will be with you while you handle it. And it is and God will lend you the divine strength and power and sure whatever so mm-hmm. that you can move through it on undamaged, perhaps killed but not damaged if that makes sense. Yeah. Um and you know the Corinth was a wild open wide open city. There was all sorts of stuff happening. And it's easy to mm-hmm. see how um Christians trying to be good in in the context of the uh uh the the, the sinful place that um Corinth was, they might think that they have to avoid engaging in the society in which they live. Uh, Shortly thereafter, in the same passage, he's talking about uh, what about uh, what about if if one of your pagan friends invites you to dinner? Well, uh, the dinner that your pagan friend has invited you to has probably been something sacrificed to an idol. What about that? Cool, don't worry about it. It's fine because that kind of thing is just an experience and experience is not what harms you. It's your reaction to the experience. You know, it's like what mm. Jesus said about it's not what goes into the person that, that defiles them, but what comes out. Um, it's the same kind of idea. And um, if you rely on the divine strength enough, uh, you will have enough because Mm. the divine will provide it. Um, Yeah, the food Mm -hmm. to to, to idols, that's like verse 19-ish around in there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So how do you think that we got to the quote that we started with, which is God won't give you any experience you can't handle from that original one. Well, I think it's partly kind of like the game of telephone where something gets said and said and said and said and said and it comes out like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it par- it's partly a natural tendency towards wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's partly a natural tendency to want to be soothed Mm. and um don't worry you can die but it won't you won't be harmed by it that's not really soothing that's that's not Mm. really reassuring i want to know that i'm going to survive not that i'm not going to sin because you know yeah Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's that's a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. In my own experience, I'm I'm sort of close to the uh, world of twelve step spirituality, mm-hmm. and a lot of Christian uh, concepts have been redone into twelve step language, sometimes to their benefit and not always. And I think this is one of those ones that got filtered through the 12-step world to Mm. its disadvantage. And do you think it's also part that people do sort of want that idea that God 
is there and this like divine plan is in motion kind of idea. Yeah. And thinking about, which is fine, but thinking about divine plan, it's, it's pretty easy to overstep or overinterpret that and get into hmm. determinism. You What's know, that? Determinism is, is the idea that everything is going to be as it's going to be. And that's just how it is. Um, mm. Materialistic determinism says that, you know, um, if you, you strike a, the, the, the classic example is of billiard balls. You strike mm -hmm. the cue ball and the cue ball hits the billiard balls and they are going to go where they're going to go. Mm. And that's just how it is. And if you like it, that's fine. If you sink the ball, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too, because things just go as they go. Um, mm. I think the, the sort of divine materialism is that things are going to happen as God says they do. And if that's, you don't like it, that's fine. If you do like it, that's fine. And if you do anything you're, or, or don't do anything, you're not going to have any effect on any outcome. You are mm. absolutely powerless. You see it? Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the Christian way of experiencing is that God shares divine power with us. Hmm. God does not, you know, even way back to the Genesis 1 and 2 stories, God shares the divine creativity with humans. God shares the authority over animals to give them uh, to give them their names, things like that. That God shares the divine with humans as distinct from God withholds the divine from humans. Mm. Um, and then the, you know, the, the ultimate in sharing the divine with humans is, of course, the person of, of Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that um, the divine is human with Jesus is sort of bringing this, I don't know where my question's going, um, but sort of like this idea, because I'm always fascinated about that, the, um, this like God becoming fully human and Jesus as that person and being able then to relate easier to the divine because he has experienced it, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, um, it's like the, um, what is it, the Chalcedonian uh, definition is, is that Jesus is like us in all ways, sin accepted, mm -hmm. which means that there's no experience that God, via Jesus, um, mm -hmm has not had uh, even the experience of feeling absolutely bereft and abandoned by God. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, and if, uh, if Jesus can experience God as absent or as though God were absent, you know, if you want to make it subjunctive, which is probably more accurate, um, <laughs> then we can experience that too. And um, so there is no experience that you can have that God 
will not mm. join you in handling, mm. which would be a much better bumper sticker, but it's a lousier bumper sticker. Yeah. One of the things you wrote in your notes is that, um, that I really like is that God is most inaccessible when one is in pain. Did I say that? Well, you did. It was quite the mic drop. Page two. Um, at worst requires one to deny the facts of their own experience. And then God is most inaccessible when one is in pain. It's right at the bottom of your page two notes. Taylor oh, I see, I see it. I see it here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think what I meant by that was that God feels most most um, most absent when one is in pain. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I know when I have uh, when I have ha been through experiences that were truly emotionally uh, painful. Um, it it has felt for me like God is more absent than times when I'm not in so much pain. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm I can't help but thinking of that other really asinine piece of pop theology, which is the the um, uh, footprints in the sand. You know, when mm. when, when you were at, the, at your worst is when I carried you know. That's that's mm -hmm. just awful. But looking back on it, you know, I can see how the divine hand was present, even though it didn't. I didn't experience it as pre as present at the time, mm, or didn't mm. experience it how you wanted to. Well, or yeah, maybe maybe it's a matter of not recognize not recognizing, but mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I think the um, em, emotionally they amount to the same thing, really. They do, um, yes. So, yeah, I, um, and that also, you know, your your addition there makes it all the more important not to approach God with um, with hard and fast pre uh, predetermined ideas, because. Mm -hmm. You know, as we have noticed, God does the unexpected routinely. Yes. And, and so if our expectations are too ossified, then we will mm -hmm. fail to experience God doing what God does, which is be unpredictable. And then it becomes less about like what God has allowed you to experience and more about like what God has allowed you to survive. Or what I have prevented God from helping me experience. Prevented mm. God by demanding God be like this instead of like that. Mm. When God is always like that. Yes. Because there is kind of like in those young Sunday school days, this idea of like this benevolent God who's just going to protect you and then you get older and realize protection looks very different than what you thought when you were six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, I'm thinking about God, the father, that's more like God, the uncle, yeah. <laughs> God, yes. the granddad, um, yes. you know, um,
you know, father, father image for the first person of the Trinity is certainly good and useful and all that, but um, having a, having an expectation that God is just going to be smiling and nice and, mm -hmm. and all of that, that's, that's God, the uncle, that's not even the father to say nothing of mother, to say nothing of, uh, you know, sister, brother. Mm. You know. Yes. And then I think that also, like, minimizes what the vast human spectrum of emotion as well. The vast human spectrum of emotion and the vast human spectrum of experience. I mean, mm. people have been around a long time and people have experienced a lot of things, most of which I never will experience. Mm. You know, I'm not going to have a rampaging a horde of Mongols on horseback come through and burn my village. It's just not going to happen. That doesn't happen in Chicago. Mm. But that has happened to <laughs> no. people throughout history. That kind of thing. Mm. Um, you know. And so I guess it, it also pretty much makes the, ma makes our, or helps our idea of the way things are more um, more provincial than they really are. You know, thinking that the universe is like Chicago is, you know, it just really cheapens the universe. And thinking that God is like the uncle I wish I had really cheapens God. And so it, it diminishes my ability to experience God as God actually is. So, mm. which is a lot weirder than anybody ever told me it would be. Yeah. No, that wasn't what they said when you were in theology school. Well, it certainly wasn't what they said when I was in first grade Sunday school. That's for sure. No. No. Mm. They lie to me. No. But you do you think it's important though in first grade Sunday school to build that foundation of like Jesus and God loves me? So then that's what you can always come back to? Yes. In fact, that is probably the most one of the most profound theological statements that a person of any age can make to another person <laughs> of any age and that is jesus loves me this i know mm. but when you put a period on the end of that sentence or even you know for the bible tells me so the next line if you put a period on the end of that then you don't allow for that to be a foundation for a real um, edifice of theology. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just Jesus loves me, and you know, so Jesus, and and you can go all sorts of places with that. Many of which you shouldn't go, such as Jesus loves mm -hmm. me, but not you. <laughs> you know, oh no, 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 we didn't. That's no. not what we meant. No, no, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but so. Jesus loves me is absolutely foundational, absolutely central. Um, but if you stop there, then 
then it, it sort of deteriorates into falsehood, which is is a shame mm. because it's it's one of the truest truths there are. Mm. It's true. You put this also really wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis um, from the I used Four to love Loves. Lewis. When I was a kid, I, yeah. I or a young adult, I wrote, I read. Oh yes, yes, the vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to read it? Do you want me to read it? Because it. You do it. Okay. Um, so again, C.S. Lewis from The Four Loves. Um, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Yes. And I'm not sure how, when I was thinking about this bumper sticker aphorism how i got to that but it's mm. so rang true when it did mm -hmm. um that is um you know you, you've seen my notes that is yes. something right under blank statement vulnerability is a necessary precondition to love mm. and it's like oh my goodness is that true <laughs> um <laughs> And that really explains a lot about the incarnation. Mm. That um, God, the, the first person of the Trinity, if that were all there were, or the first and third person of the Trinity, if that were all there were, then the absence of the second person of the, the the non-existence of the second person of the trinity would limit the the potential of divine love mm. and since the divine is love then that creates a contradiction that has to be um overcome somehow and god overcame that contradiction through the incarnation Mm. And it's true also, I feel like a lot of, I've heard a lot of Christmas sermons in my lifetime, <laughs> and it's not been a super long one, but I feel like one idea that always comes back is this idea of like this vulnerable baby, because if like, I feel like if God wanted to just like poof and create a 35 year old man, he totally could have. Absolutely. So it's such an interesting idea that he wanted that sort of vulnerability of a child that then grows as well. Not only that vulnerability, but the vulnerability that God shared with Jesus's mother. Mm. Um, it's hard to imagine a more vulnerable position than being a 16 year old girl giving birth in pitch darkness alone in a strange city. Hmm. what and that 
radical vulnerability that Mary volunteered for or took up the, the um, invitation to was not just a precursor, but an, an, an essential part of the divine vulnerability in Jesus. Mm. And so Mary's vulnerability is an essential part of that. And, you know, back to the uh, patristic definitions, the, the dual nature of Christ, that Jesus gets his divinity from his dad and his humanity from his mom, part of the humanity he gets from his mom is radical vulnerability, which he also gets from his dad because his dad had to be radically vulnerable in order to be God. Mm. Wow. How did we get there? I don't know. I feel like it follows. It tracks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I'm, I'm glad. We got um, you. No. Oh, yes. Yeah. And you also wrote something um, without danger, the possibility of pain. Vulnerability is not possible. Yeah. As well. If you know you're going to win the bet, it's not a bet. Mm. Yeah. Do you think there's something to taking calculated risks, though? How do you mean? And that sort of like the statement of if you know you're going to win the bet, it's not a bet. If you know that what the ending will be, how do you do that? But I, I feel like a lot of people I know will also do a calculated risk. That's a better way to put it. Um, well, to say the same thing differently, mm -hmm. um, I don't think we're called to be I think we're called to be fools, but not idiots. <laughs> I like that. That's a bumper sticker. I'd buy. Yes, 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 I like that. Yes, yes. Um, you know, we are we are called to to be fools. You know, Fra Saint Francis was a, a fool for Christ, and his his followers were uh, clowns of God. You know, Jean-Louis de Dieu. Um, Really? Uh, I've never yes, heard that. Yes, yes. Jugglers, actually, but jugglers and clowns were, were the same thing. Um, his, his, his early followers. Um, anyway, yes. Um, yeah, we, there's no, there's no divine warrant for being dumb. Hmm. There is divine warrant for being bold. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, if you know you're going to win, it doesn't require any uh, courage. If, mm -hmm. you know, if you know you're going to walk through the uh, unscathed, you it, it, all it requires is effort, and effort is not that big of a deal. Mm. Um, spiritually speaking yeah um and so um there has to be the possibility of losing mm. um another reason why god will never give you more than you can handle 
understood as God will make sure you never lose, uh, why that's bad theology. Um, but as, as with the Triduum, when Jesus lost everything and won, <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. so too can we. Mm. Shows a new pathway. Almost. A new pathway, and um, by incorporating that which, incorporating the evil, uh, including it, surrounding it, destroying it. You mm. know, dying, he destroyed life, death, uh, rising, he restored life. I don't remember the line, it's, it's in one of the. Uh, um, it's the, the dialogue in one of the Eucharistic prayers. I, th I think it's from EOW. I don't really know it that well. But there's that line, dying, de he destroyed death. Yes, he did. And that's mm -hmm. how he did it. And um, being divine, he was, he was powerful enough to do it. And he, then we're back to the sharing the divine power with humans because of God's love for humans. Mm -hmm. All comes back to that love, man. God is love, and where true love is, God himself is there. God themselves are there. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so if you were to create this sort of perfect bumper sticker that you Ooh. would put on your car, or water Ooh. bottle, or laptop, what, what would yours be? Oh, I I don't think I would have one that is you know ten words, you know. Yeah. Um, those people at football games that hold the sign up that says John three sixteen. Mm hmm. If I were to hold up a sign at a football game, I would hold up John three seventeen. <laughs> mm. So that's that's a step in that direction. Um, um, for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved. That's at least as important, if not more so. Um, mm -hmm. So you know. Maybe to go back to that um, to that kid's song, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> it's a good one. It's, it's not classic. bad, now that I'm hearing it. Yeah. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yeah. One I like that. I said, I like that one. One I said was... Um, and I hate this song, but um, they will know we are Christians by our love. Uh, I know it's hard, but it's like it's it's got the right plot points. It needs some finessing. Oh, uh, it needs a lot of finessing. Um, <laughs> be, because you know, look around and and see some of the things that Christians and that Christians qua Christians do these days. Yeah. Um. They are not leading with love. Thank you. 
Um, um, but that's okay because God will never give them more than they can handle. <laughs> see, there yeah. we go. Works out. It's a perfect, perfect round circle moment. Yeah. Is there any last thoughts that you um, haven't said yet or we haven't touched on yet that you wanted to make sure we got in? Not really. Well, I think we've we've really gotten down to the to the core of it and did so better than I did in my notes that I sent you. <laughs> the the center of everything is love. The center of, of everything having to do with the divine at least is love. Mm -hmm. And um what flows from that very often turns out in to be things that no one would have expected. Hmm. Um, when I think, you know, when you, when, you, when you think about what the ruler of the universe would be like, you're not going to think about impregnating 14-year-old girls or 16-year-old girls or whatever. But, you know... Um, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yes. Yes. Um, when you get down to what is the essential characteristic of the, the, the power that underlies the universe, that essential mm -hmm. characteristic is to share that power with creatures such as you. Mm. No one would have predicted that, you know. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of of um, religions that have, you know, like dying demiurges, and that have, you know, avatars. And Krishna is a lot like Christ, and all of that kind of stuff. But nobody would predict that it is an essential characteristic of the universe to share the essentials of the universe with people in the aggregate and as well as in the individual. Mm -hmm. You know, wh who else says that? Nobody. Mm. That's so true. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, if people wanted to connect with you, is there an easy way for them to do that? Well, um, probably the the most readily available way would be to get in touch with me through Facebook. I hang out there a lot. I um, admin two or three groups. Um, mm. So that's probably simplest. There aren't that many Scott Elliot's out there in the world. Um, <laughs> and yes. um, it, it probably would be easy to pick me out of the crowd. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's a very great pleasure. I'm I'm very glad to have met you, Ivy, and I, you know, maybe we could do this again in another five years when you come up with a very different topic, and you run yes. out of people to interview. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Tea Time Theology, a ministry of St. John's Cathedral in Rhode Island. We would like to thank our producers, Ivy Swinsky and Taylor Wilkie. Special thanks to Moa Conde and David Hines for our music. Our sponsors, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley, as well as our guests today. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on all social medias.